0: Love talk Radio.
1: welcome to the along came a writer network opinions expressed in our shows do not necessarily reflect those of the network good afternoon everyone hi welcome to the winter circle and I am Jeannie Wynn and I'm so excited to be with you all today. We are going to talk books. You know I love books. Uh, We're heading into Memorial Day weekend uh, today. A lot of you probably are already on the road, already headed out. Hopefully you're listening to us on your phone or in the car. Uh, But we are going to talk to um, Amanda Barrett today, and we're going to talk to her about, I feel like one of the most exciting fiction titles that's going to be coming this summer. And so I Hope you all will join us today. We are gonna hit behind the scenes, and we're gonna talk all kinds of things. We're gonna talk about life. Uh, we're gonna talk about an exciting trip that Amanda has uh, coming up, and we're gonna talk about obviously the book. And I'll let you tell, I'll let her tell you more about that. Um, I have actually been back. Um, back in podcasting from a little bit of a break. So I appreciate your patience today as I jump back into the waters. But you know what? I cannot imagine a better book uh, to come back in to podcasting with than this one. Uh, We're going to be talking about my dearest Dietrich. And let me tell you all, you know, I think sometimes it's a cliche when people say, oh, you know what? I picked up a book and I could not put it down. I couldn't put it down. Well, you know what? this is the case with this book. You will pick this book up and you will literally not be able uh, to put it down. And so excited to talk to the author, always excited um, to hear the behind the scenes. You know, I'm one of those people that when I watch a movie, uh, it kind of drives my husband crazy, but I love to watch the director's cut um, because I want to hear all the details Uh, that are behind the scenes, all the ifs, ands, and buts, and whys, and so that's what we're going to be talking about with Amanda today, and so excited to have her on, and we're going to welcome her um, in just a minute, and talk more about this book, and how amazing it is. Um, Amanda, uh, are you on? Yes, I am. Hi, how are you? Really great, how are you? I'm great, you all. This is Amanda Barrett, and thank you, Amanda, for coming on today. Like I said, I'm a little rusty. I haven't done this in a while, but I'm so excited to be talking to you today. We're going to start with your bio, uh, tell people a little bit about you, because um, as people will learn, this is not your first book. No, uh, it is not. Uh, you are uh, an ECPA, um, which is which ECPA uh Stands for Evangelical Christian Press Association. If y'all don't know, she is a ECPA best-selling author of several novels and novellas, including My Heart Belongs in Niagara Falls, New York. Uh, she's a member of the American Christian Fiction Writers and a two-time SHL Readers' Choice Award finalist. She and her family live in Northern Michigan, and we're gonna uh, give them your website, Amanda, where they can find you uh, a little later. Welcome to the show, thanks. It's so great to be here. It's wonderful to have you here okay, Amanda. this book um i I don't even know where to start and in, and in full disclosure, I have to tell you all that I'm Amanda's publicist on the book, and so i've been we actually Amanda and I have been working on this for quite a while, and she has some very exciting things that are coming up that we're going to talk about in a minute but Amanda, you know Dietrich Bonhoeffer, uh, when you talk about Dietrich Bonhoeffer, that's really an amazing um, hero to a lot of people, a, a, a spiritual mentor. Um, he was obviously a martyr. Uh, tell us how uh, you came to write, my dearest Dietrich, um, and talk about Let's talk about the two main characters first. It seems like an ambitious project, um, but you've done it you've done it. And so tell us about that and kind of what that all meant and how it came to be.
0: Well, I first discovered Dietrich Bonhoeffer through Eric Metaxas's book, Seven Men and the Secrets of Their Greatness, and my mom was actually reading it. And one evening we were just sitting around the dinner table, and she was sharing about the men in this story, and she shared the story of Bonhoeffer. And that was really my first introduction to him. And I was like, wow, this is this incredible story of this pastor and theologian who stood against the Nazi regime, and he was a German pastor, no less. And I thought that was really interesting, but then so were the stories of the other six guys in the book. And so it wasn't until a few months later I came across a quote from Love Letters from Cell ninety two, which is the book that contains Dietrich Bonhoeffer and Maria von Bedemeyer's correspondence. And I think it was it was really the very moment I saw that quote that I just this question came to mind and that question was what kind of a woman would capture the heart of a man like Dietrich Bonhoeffer? And through writing this story, that's kind of the question I set out to answer both for myself and then both for readers, is to bring Maria's story in, up into the forefront where it's before it's almost been kept back in the shadows um, obscured by Dietrich.
1: There was some mention of it in Eric Metaxas' book, Bonhoeffer, um, which is also really amazing. If you haven't read Bonhoeffer, it's, very, it's an amazing biography on Dietrich Bonhoeffer. So there was some mention in it But what I love about this is you have really uh, done what I think historical fiction can do. You've really kind of filled in some of the cultural gaps and some of the other gaps in this story, haven't you? Yeah,
0: that's really what I set out to do because, yes, like you said, I mean, Maria's story has been covered a little bit in Eric's biography. But, yeah, I, I feel like I took it or at least tried to take it to a whole new level, just bringing her and her story, and then also bringing Dietrich's story to a fictional audience because I think people who know Dietrich Bonhoeffer either know him through his books like The Cost of Discipleship and Life Together or through his biographies. And so, just I feel like fiction opens up the door for a whole new group of readers who might not otherwise pick up a biography to discover these amazing stories that can be so inspirational to us today.
1: Now, as far as the book itself, your publisher is Kregel Publications, and they've done a phenomenal job with this book. But what's interesting, Amanda, is that it's a hardback book.
0: Yes, it is. And I just got my author copies like over a week ago, and they are just absolutely beautiful. And I can take no credit for that. The publisher just did a beautiful, beautiful job. And and. Just putting this book together, and I just—I was in tears when I saw it. So that was to me was so exciting.
1: Yeah, it's a beautiful book, a beautiful cover, and and it's very unusual to have a hardbound book these days. And another thing I love about it is there's pictures in there. It's, there's pictures in the book, aren't there?
0: Yes, I love talking about these pictures because for me, when I'm reading a book about true life people, for example, the story, the love story, becoming Mrs. Lewis, which is the love story of C.S. Lewis and Joy Davidman. One of the first things I did was go and look for pictures of them because I wanted to envision who I was reading about since they were real people. But they're already in the book for my dearest Dietrich, a picture of Dietrich and a picture of Maria. And I love the pictures they chose to highlight in the book. They're just, it's, to me, it just adds so much realism that these were real people living through these times. And...
1: Well, you always see this picture, like on the cover of of um, Bonhoeffer, you see a pretty common picture of Dietrich. It's a very straight-on glasses, um, you know, uh, very, I think, uh, educational, pastoral looking picture. And so, you know, it's always just great to see those. I'm like you. I'm a visual person, so pictures mean a lot to me, seeing that actual picture of that person. Um, now, How long did it take you from research point to turning it into the publisher? How long did that take? Total, it was an
0: over two-year process. I think it was more like three years when I figure the research that I kind of did before actually starting to dive in. So it was a really, it was quite an extensive process. The research was more intense than anything that I've done for any project to date.
1: Now, what I do love about this, and, and these are those, these are those little behind-the-scenes things that you don't, you know, that people don't always know, but y- your dad was a part of that process, wasn't he?
0: Yes, he did, and my entire family, were. They, we actually did tour, um, there's a Holocaust museum about maybe like three hours from where I live, and so we actually went down and I was able to tour that. It didn't have a lot relating it didn't have actually anything relating to directly to Bonhoeffer but it was still this amazing just seeing these artifacts they had a German rail car that you know was used to transport Jewish people to concentration camps and it all just added this like this intense sense of realism like this really happened and I think it helps cement for me some of the just the wider themes of the book to go to see that in person
1: yeah you know their love story is interesting because They did have obstacles. They had big obstacles. I mean, you know, falling in love during this time, not easy. Um, I love in the book uh, the dance between the two of them. Um, It's just that dance I think anybody in a romance goes through. But just add in the times that they were in and um, everything that was going on. What – as you started doing research and you started looking at their relationships uh, in general, what do you think the draw was?
0: Well, I just got to say that that dance scene, I was in tears while writing that. And that is so not typical for me. I'm very much, I look at things very logically almost as if I'm a director directing the, the movie, so to speak of my scene. But with that scene and some of the final scenes in this book, I was just in tears because it was so intense. But yes, I think that when Dietrich and Maria met in June of 1942, it was one of those instances that their relationship should have been impossible until it wasn't. When Dietrich met her, he was 36, so it was very late in life, and he would only really had one brief relationship with a woman before that. But he knew Maria's family. Her grandmother, Ruth von Kleist, was a very big supporter of what Dietrich was doing. At Finkenwalde, where he was training young pastors um, in the truths of Scripture versus the Reich Church truths that were very much going on at that time. And with Maria, he found someone who shared his steadfast faith in a time when most people did not. They were very much all for Hitler as the savior of Germany. And so he found that. And he also found somebody who was, in many ways, his opposite because she was very fiery and. Vivacious, and he could tend sometimes to be scholarly and introverted, so they really matched each other well that way
1: uh yeah, introduce us uh, talk a little bit more about uh maria and and what she was like because uh I think that that you know Dietrich was Dietrich and he was a you know i just i love where the scenes you write where they communicate with each other, talk to each other. Um, but, but what do you think, what was Maria like? Re- like, you. just describe her a little bit.
0: Well, I can describe her very well using her own words. Um, years after Dietrich's death, she wrote this um, article for the Union Theological Seminary's Quarterly Review, and it's one of the few times that she actually opened up and spoke a lot about Dietrich, and she said about their first meeting in June that it was my custom to take a very cocky tone with my grandmother, which I maintained even at, after Dietrich turned up. So that tells you a lot that she wasn't, mm-hmm. you know, taken aback by the fact that there was this theologian at her grandmother's house. She was still herself. She was very vivacious. She was very, people described her as she was very stri- striking, not only physically, but just intellectually, just to talk to her. I think she was. she was someone, I think, that when she entered a room, she kind of lit that room up and... I think Dietrich was just very taken by that, and I think he was taken by the fact that she was she was also very intellectual. One of her dreams was to to get a degree in mathematics, and one of the other things that she says about that evening in June is that that's one of the things that they talked about as they were first getting to know each other, the fact that she wanted to say to study mathematics, even though she said neither her nor Dietrich knew much about mathematics, so that but they still did their best to speak of it.
1: Yeah, uh, let me tell you what the let me um, as we're going through the, the well we'll we're going to keep talking about it obviously but the name of the book is My Dearest Dietrich, and it's by Amanda Barrett, and uh, it's published by Creekle Publications. The book itself actually um, goes on sale June 9th, but you can go on uh, any of your online retailers right now and pre-order the book, and it will be. It, will, it usually gets to you pretty fast that way. And then, um, obviously, after the book comes out, it will be at your, you know, at whatever your favorite bookstore is. Um, it is really a beautiful book. The cover is stunning. The endorsements, uh, she's got so many amazing uh, endorsements. One of them um, was is from Jocelyn Green, which she says, As beautiful as it is phrase. this is a multifaceted story of the highest stakes and The Deepest Love. And then another one I thought was an amazing one is Kate Breslin, who is an amazing author in and of herself and often writes about historical events. Uh, She said, this is a kaleidoscopic emotional journey through heart-stopping moments of danger and risk faced by two star-crossed lovers. Their tale will take you from weeping over war's futility awe at one man's unwavering faith and conviction a rare and beautiful body of work Uh, amanda what does it feel like to hear those endorsements
0: well when i first read uh, jocelyn and kate both sent them to me actually before they turned them in and so i basically was in tears because to me Kate Breslin's novel, For Such a Time, was one of the books I was reading at the time that that I was thinking about writing Dietrich and Maria's story. And her book was such an incredible example of taking this dark, dark time in history and infusing it with hope. So I was thinking about possibly writing My Dearest Dietrich. I was thinking, you know, I want to write a book that does to readers what Kate's book did to me. And so, yes, I was just so incredibly honored and blessed that they, that they said those things about the book and just very, very excited.
1: What's always interesting to me is these are people that you've probably read. Jocelyn Green is an amazing historic writer. She, we actually worked on her Civil War series, and she is an amazing writer, too, of uh, fiction and nonfiction. But to, to, to have read... Many of these authors that endorsed you, because there's also an endorsement by JB Joe Wright, um, who's a Christie winner, Laura Franz, who's a Christie winner, Jocelyn, uh, Susie Finkenminder. Um, this is just kind of a, a small selection of people that endorsed the book, but these are people that you probably read their books, right?
0: Oh, all of them, yes. And I have to say that Jocelyn Green is, yes, yeah, she is an amazing author too. Yes, her most recent um, book just came out, and it was absolutely incredible. All of her books are just a great example of historical fiction done well. And I've looked up to all of the authors that endorsed this book, looked up to them, and deeply admired their work for a really long time.
1: Yeah, you know what most people don't understand is writing is solitary. its I mean, you know what, there's nobody that's going to write that book but you, but there is great support in the writing community, uh, isn't there?
0: Oh, absolutely, yes. It's very much said that, you know, like they say, no man is an island. Well, no book is written alone. And without the community that I've, I've personally found among um, writers, especially um, writers who write for the Christian market, it's just been amazing. And I love that we all support each other, that there's not a lot of, like, jealousy or just promoting just myself. It's just a lot of, like, we're like this group of people all out to cheer on and support each other, and to me, that's amazing, and I just feel so blessed to be able to be a part of it.
1: Yeah, I think so, too. It's what I've seen. Uh, I've been doing publicity for uh, fiction and nonfiction for a long time, but I I love the support in the writing community. Um, Now, going back to my dearest Dietrich, Uh, It took an extensive amount of research on your part, but then it also took writing time. How do you talk a little bit about your process? Like, do you do all of the research first and then write the book? Do you pick things up as you go? How does it work for you? Well, with my dearest teacher, I spent
0: almost as much time researching as I did writing. So while working on the first draft, my desk, and I have kind of a large desk, the whole top of it was completely covered with these huge stacks of books because I was referencing them frequently during almost every scene. And I didn't have to do with this one as much plotting because the timeline was already set, though I did sit down and think about the major characters in the novel and they thought about their character arcs, their greatest dreams, things like that. But So, yes, the research, I was researching before I started and then even through the entire writing process I didn't stop because it seemed like whenever I would think, oh, this might, there, this might be good, I came across new information that I wanted to include. And it was almost like I was on this treasure hunt coming across these gems mm-hmm. of information.
1: Yeah, I would think that that would be true. Um, now you were able to connect I loved I loved hearing this that you were able to connect with uh with someone, uh Bishop Kenneth Kenner, uh, that had a connection uh to one of character one of the characters in the story. Uh what was it like when you found him and found out about him?
0: A mutual friend put me in touch with Bishop Kenner and that was To me, that was something I totally did not expect, that I would be actually able to sit down because Dietrich's best friend, Eberhard Betke, is deceased, and, so, and obviously he, lived, he would have lived over in Germany, so I probably never would have been able to really connect with him. So Bishop Kinner knew Maria in the 1960s when Maria was living in Connecticut, and he was the pastor at the church that she attended. And so he knew her very much as like the way a pastor would know a parishioner, But one time he did, she had him over for dinner, and he did sit down, and they did sit down together, and she shared a little bit about Dietrich. Not a lot personally, but she did share. um, Since this was the 1960s and there was a lot of, like, revolution going on, she said that if Dietrich was to have been in America today, she believed that he would be working
1: right alongside Martin Luther King, Mm -hmm. junior You know what Dietrich actually was in America and could have stayed in America and not gone back to Germany, right?
0: Yes, he could have, yes, in 1939 his friends because he knew they knew that war was just on the horizon and Dietrich believed that though he wasn't a pacifist in like the strictest sense, he knew that the war that Hitler was proposing was a war he as a Christian could not bring himself to fight in. So his friends got him a teaching job at Union and he went over to America. But he was only there 26 days before, and the entire time he felt this unease, this unrest, almost as if he felt that God was just displeased with where he was. And so then he got on a boat and went back to Germany because he believed that he couldn't, he couldn't come back if he'd stayed in America. He couldn't go back to Germany after the war and help the Germans. Then he had to help them during the time of trial that lay ahead.
1: And help them. He did. Uh, you want to talk a little bit about Dietrich's role in in all of that? Um, uh, Dietrich did end up uh, becoming a martyr, but what, talk a little bit about what got him to that point.
0: So Dietrich resisted. One of his one of the things that he did very early on to resist was that they formed this group called the Confessing Church. That was very They were breaking away from Hitler's Reich Church because Hitler's Reich Church wanted to make a God out of Hitler. They didn't want to have crucifixes. They wanted to have a picture of Hitler and Mein Kampf on the altar. And so Dietrich worked, was very involved with the Confessing Church, and what they asked him to do was to lead a seminary of young pastors, pastors in training in discipleship. So not only did Dietrich teach them you know, the things that one had to learn to be a Lutheran pastor, he really worked with them to teach them how to live in Christian community, how to pray, how to read the Bible. Because in in Germany, that wasn't something I think that was done as much. Like he asked one of his young pastors in training, he asked, do you love Jesus? So he really wanted to get back to the basics of faith. So that was like what he did at the beginning. But then, his brother-in-law Hans von worked for the Abwehr, and that was the German military intelligence. And Hans knew very early on, because of his contacts, what hit, what was really going on in Germany. And a lot of people did not know that he knew about. Hans kept this dossier of Nazi crimes because they wanted to have that for after the war. And so he had information about the corruption and not in the politics, uh, the brutalities, and the um, executions of just innocent people in Poland and Jewish people. And so even as early on in the 30s, the Bonhoeffers, they were very plugged in, as you could say, in what was going on. And Dietrich knew that then he had to, he couldn't just encourage, he couldn't just participate in these discussions, but it came to a point where he realized, I have to be an active participant in
1: this resistance. And that is what makes it so interesting that that, During the time when he was really in a dangerous spot, Um, here comes Maria into that mix. Um, Don't you think God's timing was interesting in that?
0: Yes it was. It was the most improbable time for him to fall in love. I mean any other time in his life it would have been easier it would have been simpler for him to have met a woman but no it was at this time. This time when he only he only lived a few more years that he met this woman and had this romance and this love story in those final years of his life.
1: In writing this um and this is honestly this is one of my favorite questions I I I love this question. You may not, but I love it. Um, but I'm going to ask it. Um, in this process of writing about Dietrich and Maria, um, we're going to talk a little bit in just a, after this question about the other people and some of the other characters. But what surprised you? What, what did you find surprising in the research and the writing of this? What, what kind of took you by surprise about Dietrich, Maria, the relationship, what, whatever, you know, what surprised you?
0: Well, it was Dietrich that surprised me, and because I think when I started out, I had these preconceived opinions and maybe like what I thought he was, and I love discovering him not only as this author, this pastor, this theologian, and a man of resistance, but as this very human and even flawed in some ways man, because I think it's very tempting sometimes to consign our heroes of the faith to a pedestal, but in... That to me, when we do that, that makes them distant and unrelatable. And so, when I discovered Dietrich, that he did live out costly discipleship. He did serve God with all his heart, but he was also human, as the rest of us. And he struggled with raw emotions of fear and uncertainty. And he fell in love, like you said, at one of the most unlikely times of his life. And he fought that falling in love. And so. That was the Dietrich Bonhoeffer that became most real to me as I was writing it. Not this, not some cardboard cutout labeled brilliant theologian and martyr.
1: Yeah, exactly. And they were surrounded with, um, you know, you write about obviously Dietrich and Maria, but there are other people that are part of this story. Um, we don't have enough time for you to talk about all of them, but pick out a couple that maybe – you were drawn to or compelled you or are just key to this story in general and talk about them
0: well one of the characters there the people that became my favorite as i was writing was dietrich's brother-in-law hans von Denani and his wife christelle which was who was dietrich's sister and dietrich was very close to Christel. they had a really close relationship and hans was he was very much involved in what was going on with the with the when they were trying to take over this government, this the assassination plots that were going on. Hans Vandenani, There were several assassination plots that took place. Um, and it, I've heard anywhere from there was at least fifteen that are documented and known. And Hans knew about the ones that were going on in the months before D, he and Dietrich were arrested. And so the one that actually Maria's uncle and cousin were involved in involved smuggling a bottle of brandy with a bomb in it onto Hitler's plane when Hitler was going to be flying and the thought was that the the, bo- the, plane, the bomb would go off, the plane would crash and they would never be able to trace who did it and thus they would Hitler would be eliminated because that's what they were trying to do at the time and Hans had to take the bomb to wherever it was going to, for, to the train station and so he took it in Dietrich's father's official physician's car because that was what they didn't. People didn't have a lot of cars back then, and so Hans was very. He was a very strong um, character that I found as I wrote because he was. He was the one who then did pull Dietrich into this conspiracy, and that's why we know him, not only as a pastor and theologian, but as this man who
1: resisted the Nazis. Now, um, another thing I think uh, is, is interesting about um, all of this is that. You know, the work that you've done up until now, the books that you've written before now, um, they have all had a a very, um, they're romances, and uh, they, this one doesn't end like a typical romance. Um, So did you kind of have to get yourself out in a different place as a writer with this one? Because I know how authors feel about their characters yes it was
0: such an emotional experience i i don't think i've ever cried while writing anything that i've written until my dearest dietrich and with my dearest dietrich i cried through the research process i cried through the writing of those final scenes and it was because with the amount of time i spent with these characters i grew to love them almost as if they were my friends and i grew to just to want to champion Dietrich and Maria's relationship, especially reading the real-life love letters that they exchanged. And so to get to those final scenes where she visits him in Tegel Prison for the very last time and to know what's going to happen after that, that Dietrich is not, they're not going to get married, they're not going to, as Maria wrote in one of the letters that she hoped they would someday sit on the sofa in her in the home that they're going to have together, the sofa that her grandmother is going to give them and she's going to smoke his cigars and she's going to sit beside him and they're going to hold hands and it's going to be this wonderful thing. And that didn't happen. And so for me, I just became so close to these characters, that that was, that was a hugely emotional process. And I hope some of that emotion just transfers into this story because it was so emotional for me
1: writing it. It does because I'm sitting here cheering it now. Um, <laughs> <laughs> I am. Um, so I wanted so much for them to be able to have a life together. Do you know what I mean? It's like oh, yes. I just wanted it so much. Um, and I um, have read Bonhoeffer. We actually did uh, CBA publicity for Bonhoeffer, and so I'm I'm an extensive Bonhoeffer reader, and, and I know the end of the story. But I just was hoping, you know, you just hope against hope. Now you mentioned letters, the letters. Talk mm-hmm. about that resource um, and 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 how that came into play because I would think it's it, it was extremely helpful.
0: Yes. So love letters from cell 92 after. Maria's death, her sister published those letters. Maria gave her sister permission to publish the letters. And so, Love Letters from Cell 92 is the base, it was my main resource for Maria, and in fact, the most comprehensive resource there is out for her. And so, all of the letters, almost all the letters that they exchanged during their relationship are in this book. And I knew as soon as I read, the letters during research that I wanted to include them in the novel. I didn't just want to make up my own letters because these were the real letters. These were the real words that they exchanged, and I wanted to share those with readers. So I did include all of the correspondence between Dietrich and Maria is real correspondence. There are some other fictional letters between some of the other characters, but the correspondence between the two of them is real. And then I also included not only letters but two poems that Bonhoeffer wrote, and the one is a poem, in "The Past," that he actually wrote for Maria, and mm. it is one of the times Bonhoeffer, he was, he was, I think, with Maria, he, his emotion, what the emotions he experienced were emotions he never experienced before. Though he was so well-read, though he was so academic, and so in this poem, "The Past," he he wrote it for her in prison. And it was just so raw and honest and beautiful about the way he felt about her and about the way he felt about being separated from her and about being separated from so much of life that was going on outside the prison walls while he was kept there. And so that was one of my favorite things that I included in the novel.
1: That relationship kept him going in prison, though, didn't it?
0: Oh, yes, it did. It gave him, I think it gave both of them so much hope and so much joy. I mean, Maria, their first, when Dietrich was in prison for Christmas, she brought a Christmas tree into Tago Prison. She took the tree and she told the guards, you know, you're going to help me get this tree in here. And that was was very unheard of. And that was just the woman that she was. Her Dietrich was in prison. She knew he needed, you know, some reminder of home. And so that's what she did. She took a Christmas tree in there and she brought him all kinds of other gifts as well. But. It's sad to
1: know that it wasn't really that long after his death if they could have just held on a little longer, right?
0: Oh, I know. Yes, the war ended about three weeks after his death.
1: I know. I know. Okay, I am tearing up, everyone. So uh, we're gonna we're gonna switch gears. (laughs) Uh, We're talking about my dear Cedric with Amanda Barrett, and Amanda obviously is the author of this amazing book. You all are really, I mean, this is the book, uh, I I call it novels to go, but it's really based on the true love story of Dietrich Bonhoeffer and and his love Maria. But let's talk a little bit about New York City. How's that? (laughs) Yay! (laughs) Amanda is actually headed to New York City next week. Um, this is your first trip there, isn't it?
0: Yes, it is my first trip there, and I've never been, and I'm just so excited. A lot of my time now is spent looking through guidebooks to pick out really cool restaurants to go to because I live in a very small town in Michigan, and they don't have anything here like what they have there. So,
1: Yeah, she uh, is actually going to do um, some media in New York City about, uh, My Dear Cedric, which is actually uh, kind of unusual for a fiction book um, to be heading to New York. But we, uh, like I said, as her publicist, we've tried to, to we just added another uh, another interview for her today. And she's actually going to have, I think that you're going to really love it. But But talk a little bit about, let's talk about that very first interview that you're going to do, which will be recorded. Um, And so we can let people know uh, when it airs. But talk about that, the very first interview, because I think that's going to be really special. Yes, so the very first
0: interview that I'm doing is with Eric Metaxas, who wrote the Bonhoeffer biography. And I am just, it's a dream come true to me to meet him, because I've been a fan of his work for a really long time, and I feel like, I know, I just. I've read his book. My copy of the Bonhoeffer book is basically it's falling apart because I've read it and underlined in it so much throughout the writing. So I just am so excited to be able to sit down and talk to him. And I feel like one of the things that he was most proud of in some of the interviews I've listened to that he's done is in bringing Dietrich's romance to light because his book did have. It did have quite a bit about Dietrich's relationship with Maria, and so I feel that it's going to be amazing to talk to someone who also feels like their romance deserves a spot in when we talk about Dietrich's life.
1: Now, uh, Bonhoeffer, the one we're talking about by Eric Eric Metaxas, what's interesting, and and as we were working on PR for this, I had people tell me, um, which you'll find this interesting, Amanda, they said, this book reads like a novel yes it does by eric metaxas reads like a novel
0: yes it does it really does i was just i was engrossed and i mean i tend to read primarily fiction but while reading it i was engrossed and i was there were points eric's writing is so witty that there were points i was just laughing hysterically because of the way he phrased some things, it's an amazing, amazing biography, and I think it's so accessible for people who might not usually read biographies to read this one because it does read like a novel.
1: Now, what's interesting is it is a very thick book. Yes. If you're you're looking at if you're looking at it, it's about an inch and a half to maybe close to two inches thick. Um, there the. And, and let me tell you, to Eric Metaxas' credit, it that book really has kind of gone down in history. Uh, it hit bestseller lists like crazy, but it really is kind of the quintessential Bonhoeffer book. Um, and, you know, what I think it was so amazing about that book is, you know, a lot of times you do tend to uh, – Think that people that are martyred for Christ and like they're just they're not like me. They're they're, you know what I mean. They're stronger or braver or God gives them a special sense of you know power and grace. But from your book and Eric's book, they he and Maria were both very human.
0: Yes, they really were, and I just I love the things that Eric highlights in his biography about Bonhoeffer. The fact that Bonhoeffer was could be funny. I mean, Bonhoeffer failed his driving test three times, and when he got a, he, in America, he decided he wanted to get a driver's license, and so he failed his test three times. I mean, and it, what was funny is because I actually failed my first driving test, so I thought, well, okay, if this theologian, brilliant man then I can, it doesn't make me feel so bad. <laughs> so I just love the things that he highlights in the book about Dietrich that just make him so real and so accessible.
1: So I, I, I have a feeling that, uh, and I'm not going to ask you to share, but have you got a couple of questions for Eric Metaxas that you would like to ask that you just kind of want to get his take on?
0: You know, I haven't really thought about that, but yes, I'm sure that there are. I'm yes, that that yeah. I know I did have some questions when I was researching the book because Eric actually went over to Germany, and actually met he met two of Maria's sisters, and then he met, Eberhard Beck, his wife, who was actually Dietrich's niece, Renata Betke, and so he actually was able to sit down and talk to them. So I would love to hear what he learned from them if there was anything that they shared with him specifically about Dietrich and Maria's relationship but just in general that didn't make it into his biography
1: yeah you know what's interesting about Eric I cannot wait for you to meet Eric because Eric is what probably not like anybody I've ever met in my life just uh, so much passion so much energy um, and just has this feeling for life and God and communicating and, you know, very connected in so many different circles uh, in New York City and beyond. And so I'm excited for you uh, to meet him and actually sit down uh, and do the interview with him. And from there, uh, from that interview, you're headed over to Fox. Yes. Um, so you're going to be doing a, a, a television interview with uh, with Todd Starn um, and then before that, you're going to be doing Fox Radio. And so, um, and, and both of the, uh, the, the Fox Radio is an amazing uh, host. Her name is Tanya Powers, and Tanya actually has covered so many things. And one thing that she told me about the book, she said, this is such a good book. And so she was, she's excited to interview you for Fox Radio, and then all that will be recorded and then you have a live television interview with Todd Starnes um, on Fox, and Todd's also very excited about the book. And these are uh, these are rare opportunities in so many ways uh, for a fiction title, even though it's based around true stories. How does that all make? How, how are you feeling about next week? Well, I'm really excited,
0: and I just I have to say that I just feel like if. These opportunities, I feel like they have to have come from God. I mean, they also come from you and the amazing job that you've done setting them up. But I just, I just pray that God uses them for his glory. And I'm so excited to share about Dietrich and Maria because I just love their story. And I love that their story has changed and impacted and convicted me so much as a person in my own walk of faith that it's just such a joy to be able to then go and share about
1: it with other people. Now you're not going to New York alone, right?
0: No, I'm not. My mom and my sister are going with me and so we will be doing super fun sightseeing stuff when we're not when I'm not doing the interviews.
1: Yeah, it sounds like a fun girls trip too.
0: Yes, it will be. <laughs> cheesecake. <laughs>
1: <laughs> yes, cheesecake. Oh, there's so many great places in there's so many great places in New York. And I'm also checking out some places for you that I can send over to you, uh, you know, before you fly out, uh, I've got I've got some feelers out, best places to go. Um, you talked about, you know, you're right about these opportunities. Um, you've God has really blessed you with some great opportunities um, with this book. Uh, and and you know what, as publicists, um, you know it's it's really our job to communicate the message and to garner these opportunities for you. But it really is, Amanda, so providential. Um, it's so providential. You know what I mean? It's like, it, I just feel like it, that God really sets everything up. But talk about the role um, in the writing of the book, in all of this. Talk about how important prayer was for this process of this novel.
0: Oh, it was so important. I was praying over this book. I was praying before I even, just the entire process. And so many times, God has shown up. At the conference, I pitched this book at an ACFW conference. And for some reason during that conference, I was feeling just kind of really a little more anxious than what I usually feel going to conferences. And I feel like it was just, it was almost like a spiritual attack and thinking back on it. But throughout the entire time, God has just been so faithful. He's been faithful to put, the right people in place, um, both with my wonderful publisher, both with the people I found to read the book for accuracy, my wonderful critique partner, just throughout all of it. It's just an amazing testament to God. And I'm just so excited and so blessed that he's opened up these doors for me because they're doors that I know without, without him
1: would totally be impossible. Um, one thing I found really interesting about this, And you, not only, um, you know, with the book, um, when you open up the book, um, there are, the photos are right in the front. And um, there's like a, and then as you go through the book, obviously it's the story and then the letters. And then you end um, the book with notes, um, author's notes. uh, And, you know, what I thought was interesting is, you basically said that um, I'm looking at my questions. You said that Maria never talked much about Dietrich. Why do you think that was? Well, Maria, after the after
0: she did not find out of about Dietrich's death, until a couple of months after she didn't. He died in April, and she didn't find out until June, just because Germany was so chaotic in those days, right. and so. I think that when she she moved to America and she attended Bryn Mawr University, where she did get a degree in mathematics, which is what she kind of always wanted to do, and she married twice, and sadly both of those marriages did end in divorce, although she did have two sons, Paul and Christopher, whom she loved dearly. But I think throughout her life in America, she was very much trying to to work toward the future, as were a lot of people, because when you go through something as horrible as the, that, what World War II was, you know, you almost, you almost just want what you've experienced. Very few people, unless they've experienced, can really relate to you. So, living in America, probably with a lot of um, other American families and stuff who were living the typical life that American families lived in the 1950s and 60s, I think she probably felt that what she went through was too precious, and her memories of Dietrich because. She didn't have very much of Dietrich. You know, they never had a picture taken together. He never, he gave, he never was able to go to the store and pick out a ring for her, pick out jewelry for her, or any kind of memento. So she kept those memories and those letters as hers alone to cherish.
1: Okay, she's making me tear up again. Everyone, <laughs> we're talking about my dearest Dietrich with the author, uh, Amanda Barrett, um, uh, Amanda, in the author's notes, which there I go again, you know, the director's commentary is my favorite movie to watch. I usually watch the director's commentary first. So I love having these little extras, um, that you talked about. Um, you, you have kind of a listing and a description of, uh, It says, readers may be left with a pressing question of what happened to certain characters after the novel's novel's conclusion. I provided a brief brief description of the fate of the major players below. Um, And then you have some more detailed information. You have a further reading section. Why was it so important? I love this closure, but you don't always get this. Why was it so important for for you to have this closure?
0: Well, I think it for me it was a choice because that's what I would personally, as a reader, sometimes when I make decisions in my stories, I think if I were reading this book, what would I want? And I feel like if I were reading this book, that's what I would want. I would want to hit, to know what happened. Because if the author didn't tell me, you can be sure I would be looking up on Google to find out because I became so invested. And what I hope is that this story draws people to then want to read and learn more about Dietrich. And so I wanted but I wanted to make sure to give them some further reading and to give them some information about some of the major players in the novel just so they had something kind of to go by and so they were they weren't left because I leave the story um, in October of 1944, and Dietrich doesn't, um, he's not, he doesn't go to Flossenberg Concentration Camp where he's executed until April of 1945, so I wanted to mm-hmm. fill in some of the gaps there for the readers.
1: Right. Now, um, for, for, you do have a further uh, reading list uh, that's listed on 354 uh, in the book itself. I actually have an early copy of it, um, and so that's why I have the book. I'm sorry. you will You all will get it. It's coming soon, I promise. You can, like I said, pre-order any of the online sites. Um, As of uh, June 9th, it will be in the stores, um, wherever you choose, whether that's a local store or wherever you uh, find books are sold is what we say. Um, You do have a recommended kind of a a, a further reading list, and and you do have love letters from cell 92. i got to tell you, it's hard to get. It is. Yeah, it is. Uh I I you know what it it's just like so frustrating because it is a little difficult to get. You can get it. I want you all to know out there. You can get it. But um it it uh it, it's a little more difficult to get um the rest of them uh a little bit easier. Um obviously if you want uh like if I was going to read two books on Bonhoeffer, um, except for, I'm talking books about him, not The Cost of Discipleship. That's a whole other thing. But if you were going to read about Bonhoeffer himself, if somebody said to me, who is Dietrich Bonhoeffer, to be honest with you, I would send them to Eric Metaxas' Bonhoeffer and I would send them to your novel to get the kind of quintessential view of Dietrich Bonhoeffer.
0: Yes, Eric's biography is to me that is it's so accessible and that's what i try to do with my novel to take bonhoeffer's story and to make it accessible to people living in today's day and age and especially like my novel for people who may not want to necessarily read a biography or may who may want to read my novel first and then read the biography because yes i mean the ultimate bonhoeffer biography is Eberhard Beck, Bonhoeffer's best friend, wrote this 1,000-page book about Bonhoeffer, his friend, after, after Bonhoeffer's death. But I'll tell you, that one is hard to get through, so I would not necessarily
1: recommend that one to somebody for starting out. Well, we still have a couple questions. We're still going to talk a little bit, but tell people how to find you, how to find information about you.
0: My website uh, is www.amandabarrett.net, and I like to tell people Barrett is spelled B-A-R-R-A-T-T because a lot of times people think it's E-T-T, and then I'm also on Facebook and Twitter as well, so those are the social platforms where I hang out and post regularly, and I love being able to interact with readers on those platforms. It's just so fun.
1: Yeah, it is fun, isn't it? I I think that how much how accessible authors are now, um, you know, to their readers, and how wonderful that really is. They can usually get a question answered, or you know, um, and I just I think there's something really wonderful about that. Uh, I got a couple more things though. One of the things about this book is obviously the characters lived in dangerous times. Um, how do you how do you think that what they were living in, how do you think that translates to where we are right now uh, in just current world events and our Christian faith, and where that all falls?
0: Well, Bonhoeffer has led me as a person to really to think about things and to think about some of these questions as how they do relate to our day and age. because Bonhoeffer, he was he wasn't just sitting. Around, he wasn't just writing about these things; he was living them. For example, Bonhoeffer—if we were to say today—Bonhoeffer wouldn't just be posting on Facebook his views; he would be going out and acting. One of the things that he did write and then he lived out was, "Only those who cry out for the Jews have the right to sing Gregorian chants." And yeah. I think that to, that's made me think and almost paraphrase today: "Only those who speak out for the persecuted, only those who speak out for." the suffering, have the right to sit in church pews and sing hymns because that's not cheap grace, that's costly grace, that's saying my faith is worth me t- taking a stand, my faith is worth me putting my comfort, my desires on the line and giving those up and doing what God is calling me to do. And that's what Bonhoeffer did. And so I think today where there are so many issues and, you know, we see so much brokenness and suffering all around the world and i don't think that bonhoeffer can remind us to not just be content with comfortable christianity but to to go out and do something that god is calling us to do
1: so this really this book really did writing this book researching this book really did impact your faith didn't it
0: yes yes it really did i i mean i've grown one of the my favorite um, things that really impacted me is Bonhoeffer's poem "Who Am I," which I also include in the novel. And that's a beautiful poem. It's Bonhoeffer wrote it after he'd been in prison over a year, and it was about. He wrote it after an air raid, and during the air raids, he had really he was known as a source of strength. You know, he would he was actually even a medic. He worked as a medic because they were getting short on men, and so even though he was a prisoner, he was also a medic, and. What he wrote was, you know, people looked to him as that he was this strong pillar of strength, but in himself, he was still struggling. He called himself a contemptibly woebegone weakling, and that's something I can relate to. You know, I felt like a contemptibly woebegone weakling. I'm sure a lot of people have too. And so, just the way that that, that he wraps up that poem by surrendering to God is just so incredibly beautiful. And I've read it multiple times and started to cry just because of the power of it.
1: Uh, okay, this is a this is an interesting question, and I think it's a writer's question, although I know that a lot of people are listening um are actually readers. how do you How do you follow this, Amanda? How do you go on to your next book?
0: Well, actually, writing the story of Dietrich has kind of led me to the project that's coming next. A lot of times that's what happens. I'll be researching something and then it will lead me I will hear like a nugget of something and then that'll make me want to research further and dig further and that will lead me to my next project and I did have a gap between the two of them so it wasn't like I was diving in right away because after writing um, My Dearest Dietrich I felt the need to kind of just take a little emotional break and just kind of just rest for a little while but so, yeah, it is sometimes hard to follow something that I've poured so much into. But I'm really excited about my next project. It's also World War II, and it's going to be coming out with Kriegel in 2020. So, awesome. yeah, so there are more exciting things.
1: Well, let me tell you, I, the, the name of the book is My Dearest Dietrich, and, and it is just a beautiful book inside and out, and you definitely will want to pick this up. And put it on your stack. It will go probably right to the top. You read the first chapter and you are in. Um, and I love reading about Dietrich and Maria, their story. Um, it's very delicate in so many ways, even in the midst of dangerous times. Um, Amanda, have we? Is there anything we've missed uh, talking? Because we're almost. We've almost been talking an hour. Uh, is there anything we've missed? that you really want to bring out about My Dearest Dietrich?
0: I just um, just would like to say that I am just to write it. It was just an incredible privilege. I feel that I hope it inspires readers to then go ahead and learn more about Dietrich and Maria and just to see what kind of truths they can learn from the lives of, these people who really lived out their faith at this very dark time. I mean, we've seen some dark days in our current day and age, but I don't think as of yet we've seen anything as devastating as World War II. So just I know that Dietrich's story has been an inspiration to people in China, Christians in China who have been persecuted and other places and so I just to me it's so inspiring every time I talk to somebody or hear somebody talk somebody whose life has been touched by Dietrich, that's just incredible amazing to me the impact that he's had and the legacy his life has left
1: Amanda Barrett thank you so much for joining us today uh, to talk about my dearest Dietrich uh, and, I, and it's my dearest Dietrich Kriegel, uh publications by Amanda Barrett and Amanda thank you so much and uh, I hope you have a wonderful trip to New York City yes thank you so much
0: this is so fun
1: <laughs> well, you have a great day, and we will talk soon. You too. Thank you all so much uh, for joining me on the Winter Circle. It's, I feel so it's so good to be back. Um, it's so good to be back podcasting, especially when I can bring you such great books as Amanda's book, My Dearest Dietrich. I hope you'll pick it up. Um, I hope you'll read it and be not only enjoy it, but also be inspired by it and be inspired by the message of Dietrich Bonhoeffer. Words make a difference. And we know uh, that books make a difference. So pick it up, and we will talk to you soon, the next time on Winter Circle with Jeannie Wynn. Have a great weekend.